Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Now, what we look at tonight, uh, picking up uh, uh, the close of chapter 11 and then chapter 12, we'll find that Acts chapter 12 is actually the last mention of the Apostle Peter, except we uh, uh, do, do have a reference to him in Acts 15 on the council. But in Acts chapter 12, as we'll see, once Peter is released from prison, uh, we're told he went to another place, and we don't know where that place was because his life was under threat. So what I want you to pick up here, uh, we're going to have an outline uh, first from the overhead here. This is the approach we'll be following. So section A, uh, Jerusalem to Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. And then uh, B, section B, we have political opposition, chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And then under C, we have Peter's deliverance from prison, chapter 12, verses 3 through 19. And then D, want to particularly have a look at the believer's prayer of hope. Once you notice what I've said there, prayer of hope, chapter 12, verse 5, 11 to 19. And then E, we have divine judgment on Herod, chapter 12, verses 20 to 23. And then F, we have the, the uh, word of God that grew, uh, grew and multiplied, chapter 12 and verse 24 through to 25. So I want to pick up where we left off in our previous session. So now here we have Peter, as we saw last week, the Lord has used him to use the keys of the kingdom. Upon this rock I will build my church, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of, of heaven. And so we've seen the ministry of Peter, which covers, as we saw earlier in our earlier session, chapters 1 through to 12, the book of Acts is given over to Peter's ministry primarily. Peter is the apostle there. Though it's called the Acts of the Apostles, it's primarily two apostles, Peter and Paul. So Peter, Acts chapter 1 through to 12. Now Peter has used the keys uh, of the kingdom, and he's used them, as we've seen, under the initial outpouring of the Spirit on the Jew, and then the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And then in Acts chapter 14, we're told how the Lord had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. But now it's Paul that's going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. Or as we've seen previously, Peter is the apostle of the circumcision, and Paul is the apostle of the uncircumcision. Peter is the apostle of the Jews, and Paul the apostle of the, uh, of the Gentiles. So we have Paul now, and the rest of the Acts after chapter 12, Acts 13 right through to 28, is given over to the ministry of, of Peter and Paul. So they are the two major apostles out of the twelve. Now, Acts chapter 1 to 12, the city that has been the centre from which all activities have gone has been the city of Jerusalem. From Acts 11, where we introduce it now, Acts 11, we move to Antioch. And then Acts chapter 13, Antioch becomes the great missionary church and all Paul's missionary journeys go out from Antioch. So we've got Jerusalem over here and Antioch. So we've seen this before, Jerusalem to Antioch. And then, as we said here, uh, Peter's ministry to the Jews and then Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So that just gives you a very simple overview of the book of Acts divided into two major sessions. Now, 
We'll notice here, and we'll pick it up uh, in a subsequent session, we're moving now from Jerusalem to Antioch. So Acts chapter 11, let's look at Acts chapter 11 and verse uh, 19. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen, now that takes us way back to Acts chapter 7 and 8, uh, persecution. And remember what we said, that persecution didn't destroy the seed, it scattered the seed. When, they, when the persecution scattered the believers, it scattered the seed. Uh, upon the persecution that rose about Stephen, they travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So here we are, Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, final place here, preaching the word to none but uh, unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So Acts chapter 11 sort of introduces Antioch, brings it into view here. So we're moving now from Jerusalem uh, through to Antioch. We're moving from the Jews, although they're preaching to the Jews only, but moving now to Antioch where they're preaching to the Grecians. And uh, what's the result here? Verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, a great number believed, and they turned to the Lord. So good response here. Now, notice what happens uh, up at Jerusalem in verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go far as far as Antioch. So now Jerusalem and Antioch are coming into play, so what did they do? They sent Barnabas, and as we've seen, Barnabas, uh, chapter 4, son of consolation. So Barnabas had laid everything at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas, who's going to be a very special vessel, as we've seen, in the hands of the Lord. So Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem down to Antioch. Now, when he gets down there in verse 23, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, so we're all saved by grace. Jews who saved by grace, not by law. Gentiles saved by grace. He was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And notice the language we have again. Much people was added to the Lord. So Barnabas is sent down from Jerusalem, down to Antioch, and he sees the grace of God exhorts them with purpose of heart to cleave the Lord. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And the result is increase in the church at Antioch. Much people was added to the Lord. Now, as we go down to verse 25, it's quite evident that Barnabas, seeing the grace of God and the increase people being added to the Lord, he felt that he wasn't complete in himself, didn't feel he had it all. And uh, it's quite evident that he needed what I believe uh, is a teaching apostle. Uh, I'll just say this and sort of uh, say it and then sort of back off. Uh, I believe just as in the prophetic ministry and in the apostolic ministry and in the various ministries there's, there's, uh, there's a major grace and there are the supportive graces. And like say, if we, if, we, if we had time and we may pick this up at a subsequent session of prophets, like when we look at Old Testament prophets and some of the New Testament prophets, but uh, I... Uh, uh, we refer to all the major and minor prophets as prophets, but each of them had a distinctive calling on them, and uh, like Isaiah is the notable evangelist prophet. So though he's a prophet, we have the whole of Messiah's ministry through his, his, uh, his, his prophetic utterance, but Jeremiah... Uh, he, he is the weeping prophet, but he's a pastor prophet. And the word pastor is used more in Jeremiah than the whole, total Bible put together. But that's his burden, the weeping prophet. 
and then you'll find that Daniel, he's not a pastor, a prophet, or an evangelist. Daniel is a seer, prophet, visionary. Ezekiel's the same. So you'll find there's a different uh, major grace, and it's the same with when you come to the apostles. Peter, Peter, you know, the Lord said to him uh, when when he when uh, when at the end of uh, uh, his uh, the the Lord's earthly ministry, uh, he gave him the two signs here. Uh, first of all, it was the fish, and then it was the sheep. So the first original calling was, follow me and I'll make you become a fisherman. Uh, Peter was the great evangelist apostle. He gets the 3,000, 5,000 multitudes of men and women. You don't see that under Paul. But then at the end, uh, when he'd had that miraculous catch of fish, uh, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so Peter actually moved from being an evangelist apostle uh, and fisher of men to pastoral, a pastor apostle. But Paul is not a pastor apostle. Uh, what sort of an apostle is Paul? He's a teacher apostle. So he always says, I'm a, I'm a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. That's his major grace. So don't want to get sidetracked on that, but it helps us understand the different giftings in the body of Christ and finding our different graces here. Alright, so it's quite evident that Barnabas felt his calling and uh, like sometimes people say to me, Kevin, why have you got a big staff? I say, well, you've got to staff your weaknesses. Some of you got that. Some of you are still breathing out there. All right. So uh, verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, which implies he had to look for him, uh, he brought him to Antioch. So I can imagine the discussion between Barnabas and Saul and say, look Saul, I'd really like you to come to Antioch. God's doing such great work in the church here. I don't feel I can handle it. I don't feel I have the gifting that you have. I know what my gifting is. Son of consolation, son of encouragement. I exhort the people and uh, encourage them and I've got purpose of heart and everything. But I just feel I need your, your type of ministry here, teaching apostle. And so uh, when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and uh, taught much people. And it's interesting the word taught here, uh, there's two major Greek words in the New Testament about teaching, but this one is actually, uh, he made disciples. They made disciples, not just didaskalo, just teaching, but they actually disciple people. Go and make disciples. So this word is used particularly here. So uh, uh, a discipleship program, we might say, in the church at Antioch. So they disciple much people, and the disciples were uh, called Christians first in Antioch. Now, I've mentioned this before on previous occasions, but let me just read off... um, I don't think I've got my notes here. I thought I did. Uh, But uh, it's uh, from Companion Bible, and he says, though the the name Christian was first probably given in mockery, he says he believes that it was the Holy Spirit that allowed the Christians to be called, uh, or the disciples to be called Christians, because of the implication in the name. And he said that the Jews would not have used it because they counted Christos as a sacred word. But he believed it was a divinely permitted name on the disciples to be called Christians, uh, being anointed ones along with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's all significant here, that the, the disciples are not called Christians in Jerusalem, they are called Christians in Antioch. In fact, 
The names that we have up here is disciples, people of the way. These are the names that you have up in Jerusalem, people of the way. And you have believers. They are the main words that are used uh, through here. But from now on we get a new name here. We get disciples, people of the way, believers and Christians. And all that comes out of a, a Gentile church from Antioch. Now, you'll notice again how Jerusalem has impress on Antioch because remember the word that the Lord has given us here. Uh, maintain the principles that were established in Jerusalem, but don't allow the spirit that got in Jerusalem to get in the way of the Christian fellowship. We are to be an Antioch church. So uh, there's foundation principles here. So now Jerusalem has sent down the Antioch, Bar uh, Antioch Barnabas. Now what do they do? They send down to Antioch prophets. So now we've got the prophetic ministry. As we'll see uh, in a subsequent session, Barnabas actually is a teacher and becomes an apostle. Uh, but now prophets come down. So we have the prophetic ministry coming down to Antioch from Jerusalem. That's in verse 27. And in these days came prophets, plural, from Jerusalem unto Antioch. So you've got to keep this Jerusalem-Antioch thing in mind. Peter, Paul, uh, Jerusalem-Antioch, Jews, Gentiles. And uh, there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified, literally uh, signified, uh, uh, by the Spirit gave a sign that there should be a great dearth uh, throughout all the world, and I like the latter part, uh, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So in other words, it was a true prophet, true prophecy. The prophecy actually came to uh, pass that there was going to be a famine. And so what's the response? Uh, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders. So here now is a Gentile church, and remember Paul picks this up in his epistle, he says, if the Jews have ministered unto you as spiritual things, then shouldn't you minister unto them of carnal or material things? So here's a Gentile church giving to the Jewish brethren. And who do they pick out? Barnabas and Paul. So now the Holy Spirit's bringing these two ministries who are going to work together and in Acts chapter 13 onwards we're going to have the great missionary churches, uh, missionary journeys and the church is going to be founded in the Gentile world. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now to the othermost parts of the earth. So uh, Luke who's writing the book under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is very systematic. So, uh, that's, uh, so we're now in, in chapter 11 we have from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, let's move to chapter 12 and uh, touch on the high spots here. Now, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we have political opposition. So far, in the book of Acts, we've had religious opposition. Now it's moving from religious opposition from the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, the Jewish council. Now it's moving to political opposition. So as we've said, if the enemy can't destroy the church from without, he'll try and destroy it from within. But uh, the Lord's been keeping it clean by dealing with Sapphira and Ananias and just watching those areas. But now uh, religious pressure, so political and religious are joining hands here. So about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, so the Jews, religious opposition, happy that now we've got some, uh, uh, the politicians on our side, politicals, uh, because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. 
And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarterings, uh, quarter neons. That's 16 soldiers to keep one guy. They must have really been scared. How would you like to have 16 soldiers guarding you? You know what they're scared of? They're really scared that something might happen, what happened back in chapter 4. Because remember, when they put the 12 apostles in prison, an angel of the Lord came in and took them all out, uh, invisibly right out uh, of the prison, and the guys were left there guarding, uh, guarding an empty prison while the apostles got up in the morning and preached the temple. So Herod probably had heard of that and thought, I'm not going to let any, because he didn't believe in angels or anything, but I'm not going to let, let Peter. So I'm going to guard one, one apostle with 16 soldiers, make sure. Uh, let's do some correction here. Uh, old King James, intending after Easter. How many people have Easter in their translation there? How many have Passover? The Greek word is Passover. And see, because our Bible comes from the Catholic thing, uh, they stuck Easter, and they're not honest with the Greek, because the Greek is Pasco, which is Passover, and most of the newer translations correct it. So when people say, well, Easter's in the Bible, no, Easter is a pagan festival. It's a worship of the Queen of Heaven, and I know you like hot cross buns, and I like them too, but a bunch of, uh, the whole Easter thing, I don't know how we'll ever break it. It's a worship of the Queen of Heaven and how it ever got into the church just because the translators were not honest with the Greek translation. So NIV and most of your new translations, New King James and that, they correct that and put it what it should be, Passover. So I'm trying to say that if we have a meeting here on no such thing as Good Friday, I better not get onto that. It's Good Wednesday. You know, you go, to church, you go to school to learn that three days and three nights are 72 hours. You go to church to learn that three days and three nights are about 26 hours. So you can't have Good Friday and then Jesus risen Sunday and call that three days and three nights and rationalize the thing. There's an excellent little booklet in the book room called Three Days and Three Nights with a chart in it by a close friend of mine, Kevin John Connor. You might like to buy that deals with this pagan festival. So you can have your hot cross buns, but don't worship the Queen of Heaven. Everybody said Amen. Easter and Christmas and all those pagan things, how did they ever get into the church? I know, because of Romanism. Thank you, Brother Connor. That's an excellent word. We really feel anointed about that. So just cross Easter out and put Passover and you'll be scriptural. Now, let's get back to here. Political opposition. I want you to turn over to a scripture... In uh, Matthew, let's see, Matthew chapter 4. Now, let's uh, erase this here. Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4 and then uh, uh, Matthew chapter 20. So Matthew chapter 4 and then Matthew chapter 20. You see, I think you're realizing, you know, as you read the Bible, you've got to remember all that's gone before. Now we have two apostles here, we have James, and then we have Peter. And we're going to get into this difficult situation, especially when we get down to this prayer of hope. Why is it that Herod, the Lord lets Herod behead James, and then Peter gets an angel to rescue him out of prison just before he gets his head off? How many think that God is not fair? 
Of course, the, we know the answer. Peter had faith, James didn't. Uh, Peter was believing God, but James wasn't. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Let's turn over to, what did I say? Matthew chapter 4. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 18. And what I want to share with you, particularly tonight on this prayer of hope, I hope it gives you hope. Because I think it will answer some questions that are often raised. Why, why, why? All right, Matthew 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net in the sea. So we have Simon, or Peter, and Andrew. So Peter and Andrew are both brothers. We don't uh, need Andrew at the moment because he's not really dealt with in the book of Acts. But Andrew, so they were brothers. So they're called and Jesus said, follow me and I will make you uh, fishers of men. They were fishers. Follow me and I will make you uh, fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And uh, he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So now we have James and John, his brother, but uh, John's only given a mention in chapter 4 mainly, but James and Peter. Now here's two apostles here. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And see, these are the type of things you sort of, as you're reading through the book of Acts, you need to keep in mind, helps us sort of give us a, a backdrop, the stage, the curtain. Matthew chapter 20, and uh, if you're taking down notes, verses 20 through to 24, I'll paraphrase a little bit because of our time. So, uh, uh, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons came to Jesus worshipping him and uh, she wanted a certain thing and so I'd like to ask you something Jesus so he says well what, what do you want so you can hear, picture the proud mother here with uh, James and John now uh, say so look here's my two sons I'd like one to sit on your right hand and the other on your left in the kingdom I'm not pushing myself I'm pushing my sons and uh, listen to what Jesus said. But Jesus answered, said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now, I want you to think of this. The cup and the baptism. Okay, now what's Jesus talking about? The cup and the baptism. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink and the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Question. James and John sit on the right hand, sit on the left. And they said, oh, you know, just so foolishly, so glibly, yeah, we're able. Now note the prophecy that Jesus gave concerning James and John. He said to them, you shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. I like verse 24. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Why do you think they were mad? Because they wanted the same position themselves, you know. 
uh, it's often true. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. Often we get with mad with other people because that's what we wanted. Now, I know you're too holy to feel that way, but at least I'm honest. All you lying spirits, tell the truth. All right. So now, the cup and the baptism. So Jesus is prophesying, okay, you will drink of the cup. How many know what the cup was? What was the cup? See, the cup of suffering. And what was the baptism? Now remember, and I can't get sidetracked on this, Jesus had already been baptized in water. He'd already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we might say. But though he'd had these two baptisms, there was another baptism to come. And what was it? It's the baptism of, of death. See, what is water baptism? Buried into his death. See, so the cup is what you drink, but the baptism is what you're buried into. So he prophesies you will drink of the cup, you will be baptized with baptism. But this is an interesting side glance. Uh, to sit on my right hand, uh, that's really already reserved. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who do you think is sitting on the right hand and the left hand? Have you ever thought of the two witnesses? Think about it between now and the millennium. Now, back to the book of Acts here. So in Acts chapter 12, Herod stretched forth his hand and he arrests James and he beheads him. And now James has partaken of the cup of suffering and he's experienced the baptism of martyrdom and death that uh, the Lord prophesied about. John is yet to get his later on, but not here at the moment. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 12 and move on here quickly. So now from verse uh, 3 to 19, we have Peter's rescue from prison. And uh, so here's Peter in prison. Uh, uh, and you'll notice in verse 4, so 16 soldiers are guarding him and... Uh, We'll go down to verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, and I like this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the peepers, the keepers, not the peepers, they were peepers and keepers. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now, go, uh, or just put down Luke chapter 22. I'll just quote this. Luke chapter 22. Because... Uh, contrasting Peter's boast here. How many remember that when they were sitting at the Lord's table and uh, Jesus said to Peter, look Peter, uh, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat, uh, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And you know what Peter said, Luke 22 verse 33, he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Now here Peter, before communion, the communion table before the cross, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you thrice deny that you know me. He said, not me. Everybody else will deny you. Uh, not me. I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And as we often say, Peter was cocksure till the cock crew. And then Peter made Kentucky Fried Chicken out of him. He felt like that anyway. Don't you think that dirty bird? Now here Peter is in prison. And he is ready now to go to prison and to death. Because as far as Peter know, knows, he's a dead man. James has got his head off. 
Peter's head and Peter's feeling his neck. I hope they do a clean job. I hope the sword's sharp. You know. But he's ready. And, and, and he's so ready, he's sleeping. It's just peace here. Now, do, do you think you could do that? Do you think I could do that? You know, tomorrow you're going to get your head off. Uh, Lord, you remember in Acts chapter 4, you sent a bunch of angels and rescued. Where are you? What are you doing? Only believe, only believe. Turn your faith loose. They've got it in these faith books. If you only believe hard enough. Now, what happened? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came upon him and light shined upon him in the prison and he smote Peter, Peter on the side. Come on, get up quickly. And his chains fell off. That's where we sing the song. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, put your sandals on. So he did and cast your garment, follow about me. Now, the 16 soldiers and he's chained to two of them. How do you think those two guys felt? They don't hear an angelic voice, don't, don't see nothing, hear nothing. And he went out and followed. And notice that even Peter, he thinks it's only a dream in verse 9. He didn't know it was true that it was done. He thought, oh, there's a great vision I'm having. But when they're past the first and second ward gate, you know, they come to the iron gate that leads to the city, and the iron gate just opened of its own accord. And Peter come out, you know, and, and when the angel had gone, he'd gone from one street, uh, the angel left him and when Peter was coming to himself, you know, I can imagine Peter wow, you know, this is real. I, I'm out of prison. Uh, I've got no chains. Those soldiers, I mean, it's not a dream. So, you know, I mean, Peter thinks, wow, what will I do? So he goes up to, the, up to the prayer meeting and he bangs on the door. And you can imagine, I'll come to this prayer of hope in a minute, but he's banging on the door and what are the saints doing? Then they oh God, rescue Peter. You know, Peter's got the keys of the kingdom. James has had his head off. Only believe, and I can imagine in the prayer meeting, come on, only believe, turn your faith loose. Turn your faith loose. Believe, only believe. Let's believe hard enough. We'll get Peter out of prison. And others saying, oh, I don't know, what about James? He's got his head off. Oh, you unbeliever, you've got to believe hard. Believe, believe. You know, have faith in your faith. So uh, as we go on through the scripture, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John. That's interesting. Here, and uh, his surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And Peter knocks at the door, and this damsel comes to hearken. Say, someone's knocking at the door. Her name's Rhoda. Anybody, any Rhodas here? And, <laughs> and when she knew Peter's voice, hey, it's me, it's me, it's Peter, it's Peter. She opened not the gate, but she ran and said, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. I said, oh, shut up, woman, you know, we've got to, let's get, oh, God, rescue Peter. Eh? But it is Peter. No, no, it's his ghost. They've chopped his head off too. Now, the meeting is full of faith. <laughs> but I want to shock you on this. They could not pray a prayer of faith. Do you know why? Okay. We'll come to the prayer of hope in a minute. And, and, and listen to, you know, listen to the faith that's here. They said unto her, thou art mad. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? But she constantly affirmed, it is so. They said, well, it's his angel. But Peter continued not. Now you put yourself in Peter. You know, he's outside the door knocking and the people are praying for him. And the answer to their prayer is standing there 
with his two legs knocking trying to get into a prayer meeting. I mean, really. And, and he, <laughs> he continued, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Bursting with faith. That's where the faith movement began. But he beckoned with <laughs> to his hand to hold their peace, and he said, this is what's happened. And he said, go and show these things unto James, another James to the birth, and he departed and went to another place. That's the last mention of Peter. While well, the rest of the soldiers get their, their commander to death and everything like that. Now, let me say something here that uh, I think I'll have. Put down James chapter 5. James 5, we won't turn it. James 5, 15. There is a prayer there called that when people are sick, you're supposed to call the elders of the church and the elders of the church are supposed to pray over you. And what sort of prayer are they to pray? They're supposed to pray the prayer of faith. Now, this is not a prayer of faith, and they cannot pray the prayer of faith. And you see, this may help us to understand sometimes, because sometimes I only pray a prayer of hope. Now, let me show you what I believe is the real secret here. hope it doesn't upset your theology, but it's Bible. And it's not my fault if I'm right. Right. Let's put up here the Lord. How many know that the Lord Jesus is the head of the church here? He's the head of the church. And something that the book of Acts recognized, which many churches do not know today, particularly those of us who believe in, you know, divine healing, miracles, signs and wonders, and the faith movement and 101 things like that. There's something that all of us have to submit to, and that's what I want to get across here in the last few moments. There's something in what I've got, the sovereign will of God. Now, let's... Let's put this here. I want, I want to put an order of words here. Uh, how do you get faith? Romans 10, 17, everybody should be able to quote it. So then, faith comes by hearing. Okay, now, uh, okay, so let's put it this way. So where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing a word from God. And, and remember the word there is rima. It's not logos. It's a quickened word. So faith comes from hearing word. But do you know what? You won't get a word, and particularly I'm talking about this case here, unless it's the will of God. And see, when you cannot pray a prayer of faith, you can pray a prayer of hope. Because you'd be surprised. And see, we don't preach on, on, on hope much. Listen to some of these scriptures. Why don't you put them down quickly? Because there's a place, there is a place for hope when you do not have faith. Uh, Psalm 33, verses 18 and 22. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the verse reference. Psalm 33, verse 18 and 22. Psalm 39, verse 7. Psalm 39, verse 7. Psalm 147, verse 11. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abided, abideth faith, hope, and love. So there's a place for faith, there's a place for love, there's a place for hope. And Romans 4.18, Romans 4.18, where we're told that uh, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. I believe in hope. So sometimes you have to pray a prayer of hope. Listen to Psalm 147, which I've given you. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. And see, there is a place for hope. Now, 
what, the, what, what happens is this. Something in the sovereign will of God operated through the book of Acts and is not getting into fatalism. Some people get into fatalism saying, okay, what will be, will be. No, that's fatalism. That is not faith. But see, the sovereign will of God. So it was God's will that James get his head off. It was God's will that Peter be rescued out of prison. You will drink of the cup. You will have that baptism. So you can't have faith without a word from God. But the word of God is dependent on the will of God. The will of God is his word. The word of God is will. But see, the will of God precedes the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing a word from God. Now, Peter got a word from God. His job's not over yet. The angel rescues him. And so, faith comes... Now, once faith is created, you can pray what sort of a prayer? Not a prayer of hope. You can pray a prayer of faith. Okay? And then the end result is God answers prayers. Now, as I said, sometimes I don't have faith. I'm being very honest with you. But I do have hope. And I hope in his mercy. So sometimes you've got to keep that in mind because you see, as I've got in my notes, how can you explain this thing unless you follow this, the will, the word, the faith, the prayer, the result? But this has to come first. How do you explain that Stephen was stoned to death? But when Saul was stoned to death, he was raised from the dead. How do you explain that Philip had supernatural transport, but poor old Paul had to hitchhike everywhere and get shipwrecked? How do you explain Peter walking on the water and, P and Paul getting shipwrecked and not walking on the water? How do you explain that James got beheaded and Peter got rescued by an angel? How do you explain that Dorcas, a woman, was resurrected and poor Stephen and James were martyred? How do you explain those things? Something in the sovereignty of God. How do you explain that Peter was released from prison and Paul was shut up in prison and had to write epistles? I don't think they're arguing up in heaven, as I've said before. You know, James and Peter both up there now, and James saying to Peter, or Peter saying to James, you never had any faith. If you had believed hard enough, you could have had an angel. I did. I sang that great hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. You weren't believing God. No, what comes first, this or the sovereign will of God? So the, the apostles, with all their faith, with all their signs and wonders, with all their miracles and everything, they did submit to the sovereign will of God. Let's finish on Acts. Our time's up. Let's go back to Acts chapter 12. Much more could be said on that. But I hope that this hopes you, helps you. Uh, so verse 20, we'll finish here. Herod, he goes down to Tyre and Sidon. And uh, he's all sitting on his throne there in his royal apparel. He made a great oration to them. What do the people do? Deification of a man. Humanism. The people gave a shout saying, It's the voice of God, not of a man. And what happened? The angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And I like this, he was eaten of worms. There's a shadow of the worm that dieth not and gave up the ghost. But I like verse 24 better. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So we may have our Herods that sit upon their throne and give great speeches and orations and people deify man but uh, they'll be eaten of worms. But the word of God multiplies. And the word of God grows. Everybody said amen. How many feel this session has helped you a bit? So when you don't have faith, have hope. Pray the prayer of hope.
Let's all stand and close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the three abiding virtues, faith, hope, and love. Pray, Lord, that each of these virtues will be in our life. And when at times we are uncertain, not unbelief, but just uncertain, and do not have faith, pray that hope will arise in our hearts. Lord, we just pray that you'll seal your word to each of our hearts tonight and let these abiding virtues be in each of our lives for your glory and for your name's sake. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.